every tissue in our body, every structure in our body can be affected by movement, can be affected by exercise. They are affected differently, but everything from our brain to our gut, to our muscles, to bones, to cartilage can all be influenced by movement and by exercise. Hello, and welcome to the Over 50 Health and Wellness Show. I'm your host, Kevin English. I'm the founder of The Silver Edge, and our mission is to help you build and maintain a lean, healthy body that you love for the rest of your life so that you can show up in the second half of your life as the healthiest, strongest, most vital version of yourself. We have a great show for you today. Laurie Kurtz Kelly is here, and she's going to give us the blueprint for building and maintaining bulletproof knees. But before we get to that, I want to let you know that we've opened registration for our 21-day Flabby to Fit Challenge. If you are someone who's looking to melt away a few pounds, sculpt and tone some muscle, and engage with a like-minded community, then I encourage you to jump into this challenge. It's absolutely free to enter, and the winner's going to walk away 500 bucks richer. Now, this year, we're capping this at 100 participants, and as of this recording, we're almost halfway full. The challenge kicks off this coming Monday, September 11th, so if you're listening to this before then, let's get you signed up. You can find the registration link in this episode's show notes over at silveredgefitness.com slash 224 or you can just shoot me an email at coach at silveredgefitness.com and I'll reply back with the link. Okay, enough of that. Let's get on with today's show. guest today is Laurie Kurtz Kelly. Laurie has been a physical therapist for over 20 years, and she specializes in helping active adults like you and I build strong, healthy knees. She has been featured in the Washington Post, and she's the co-founder of the 10-Minute Healthy Knee Starter Kit and Better Knees for Life. These are online fitness programs for people who want a solution to annoying knee pain rather than workarounds. Laurie is on a mission to support people who've been told that their knee pain is wear and tear or age-related. I started our interview by asking Laurie how she got interested in specializing in knee health. I loved math and science and movement. I enjoyed growing up, going outside, riding my bike, playing sports, and just trying new types of movement. Like when I was 30, I enrolled in some ballet lessons. So it just just enjoyed that type of thing, and it made it made physical therapy a natural choice in terms of what to study. After I earned my graduate degree, I began practice and just found that there were gaps in my knowledge. And so I was really glad with early on in my career, I was really glad to meet Dr. Doug Kelsey. He's the author of the 90-Day Knee Arthritis Remedy and the Runner's Knee Bible. And he just kind of filled in these very critical blanks that I felt were in, in my own practice. And then 
Unfortunately or fortunately, I got knee pain myself and I needed to implement some of these concepts for my own, for my own health. I needed some help with that. I couldn't do it all by myself. It's helpful to have someone from the outside to mm-hmm. kind of look at things when you're experiencing them yourself. But I did get through the knee pain and after, you know, what felt like an eternity, you know, it just is like when you're in pain or you're injured, life gets kind of small. But went through that and, and really, really have since then focused a lot on how, how do we help people with knee pain and how do we not just dismiss knee pain as age related or wear and tear type of thing. Fantastic. Okay. I want to dig into a lot of that, especially on the wear and tear and age-related knee pain. So it sounds like you, having been an active person yourself, that just sort of you were led into this path of physical therapy, and then you experienced some knee pain yourself. It sounds like you met this mentor, and that's really what got you interested in specializing in, in the knees, right? So Before we dig into maybe the more age-related type thing, but talk to us as a physical therapist, were you, what percentage of folks were coming to you with some sort of knee injury, knee pain, knee to knee rehab? What, what did that look like? Well, I was in an outpatient clinic for a while, a private practice, and I would say easily 40% of people Mm -hmm. had knee pain. Back pain was probably a close second, and I saw people for everything, head to toe, except for hands. I always re- referred out for a hand specialist, and and I didn't specialize. I didn't work with people with TMJ or jaw joint issues, but otherwise, it was it was kind of a head to toe operations, orthopedic, physical therapy. And then in 2015, I was ready to to focus just on knees, and and not only that, but I, I felt limited in the healthcare system. I was seeing two, three people at least at a time with support staff. And also, you know, so I would be talking to someone and I'd be like, okay, keep, keep telling me that, but I have to look around the room just to make sure no one's hurting themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and so I was ready to work with people one-on-one and really focus on what do they need? Not what is their insurance company cover? what is going to be a sustainable solution for them, not what's going to, you know, what do we do in, when we have six six sessions together? So that then I chose to kind of go out on my own and saw some people here in, in Austin, Texas, where I live, but the, the majority of people I see don't, don't live in Austin, don't live in Texas. Some don't live in the United States. So I, I work with people via online video sessions. Okay. No, I, I think that's great. And the world certainly is moving that way. Once upon a time that we, you know, we might not even have been able to imagine something like that. I've got this knee pain, I need to rehab and I can work virtually with somebody halfway around the world. Right. So, right. yeah, I, I love that. And I think maybe some of our listeners might be surprised. I know I certainly was when you said that, Hey, knee pain seemed to be the most common complaint that you were seeing back pain. Second, I would have probably guessed that the other way around. So this is something that is, it sounds like is pretty prevalent out there. People coming in with some sort of knee pain. I had a couple of questions here on that. Let's start with the age one first. Were you finding that these were primarily older people or was this just all, you know, sports related and young people? Was there any age, is there an age demographic where this seemed to be more common? 
Great question. It it runs the gamut, right? There's people okay. people in high school, but that's oftentimes an acute injury and ACL mm. tear and surgery and so forth. But you know, currently I have clients as old as 97. So the age range varies, varies a lot. I would say the type of knee pain where it's like, I don't feel like I really had an injury. I just started getting knee pain and, and then it started getting more frequent. And then it started being, when I did get it, it was, it was getting my attention more. It was more intense. And so it just kind of comes on gradually. When things come on gradually, I think we're less likely to kind of look for options to take care of it right away. Cause it's like, well, if this came on gradually, maybe it'll just go away gradually. Mm. So a lot of times people contact me after they've had knee pain for five or 10 years. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, that begs the question then, when should somebody reach out to a medical professional for knee pain? Sure. I, there's a few things that I would look for. One is, is your knee pain changing your movement? So certainly if you are limping in any way, that's, that's a big one. But even if it changes your movement in terms of like getting out of a chair, it's like you kind of lean to one side. So you avoid that one knee or you use your hands an extra amount or, you know, you'd really like to take the yoga class, but you know, getting down onto the floor just doesn't feel like a great idea for your knees. Those are all like that. Your life is starting to get limited and your health will be affected as a result. So that's, that's one piece. Another, another thing I look for is increased medication use or a prolonged amount of medication use. So it's common to go see the doctor and, and say, well, you know, you might try some, some NSAIDs or some anti-inflammatory medication. So NSAID stands for non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs. And they're, some of them are just, you know, over the counter. So it yeah. feels like that's pretty benign. An ibuprofen or an Advil or naproxen or Aleve is the brand name. And, and all of those you can get without a prescription, but the research really shows that the longer you take them, the more likely if you don't have arthritis, it, uh, you know, that you'll get it or that you, that will accelerate your arthritis, the, the progression of your arthritis. So there was a study done and there were 635 people in the study. They looked at all of these active individuals, their knee x-rays and looked at them over six and a half years. And they compared the people who took NSAIDs for less than 30 days and those that took NSAIDs for 180 days or longer. Those that took them for that basically six months or more, they had 3.2 times wow. more arthritis, you know, the, the worsened, worsening arthritis. So it's very, very significant. It's, I think, if you can take NSAIDs and for a short period of time, there can be a role for them, but it's not, it's not a sustainable solution and, and it can be problematic down the line. Yeah. It sounds to me like that could set you up for a, a pretty vicious cycle, right? You're in pain. So you take the NSAIDs and of course, over time, that's actually exacerbating the pain, right? It's worsening this arth arthritic condition and causing you per potentially to take to continue or take more. So yeah, there's, there's something that we can look out for right away. I had not heard that before. That's 
quite alarming. Hmm. Like you said, these things are sold over the counter and they're marketed to us. And it seems rather benign because when you said meds, I was thinking in my mind, painkillers, but you know, more on the heavier pharmaceutical prescription side and not so much the inside. So yeah, interesting information there. So leaving acute injury aside for a minute, talk to us a little bit about what are the most common causes of knee pain? We've, you've already mentioned arthritis. Is that the number one kind of knee pain villain here or are there other things? What, what's, what causes people to end up seeing someone like you? When there isn't an acute injury, so there's not a ligament that's been torn or a particular moment of trauma to the knee, it's, it's, and the onset is gradual, it's typically the joint surface that is affected. And that, that can be caused by a fluctuating amount of activity. So sometimes there's a season in our lives where things get busy, our fitness maybe slides a little bit. We're, we're not doing the, the consistent exercise or activities that kind of keep us happy and healthy because we've got this focus on caregiving, whether it's children or adult parents or fill in the blank, you know, whatever, or, or oneself for, for a particular reason. And taking that break, the tissues in the body and in the knee don't just maintain their health, maintain their strength. And then we're ready to go back to whatever it is. So maybe it's, oh, I used to love to run. Now that I have time, I think I'll get out my running shoes. I'll go take a run. Or I'm just doing more gardening. Or I start to take fitness classes or whatever it is. And then and the knees aren't, aren't ready for that. And as a result, the symptoms, you know, start to creep in. Okay. So somebody with a a change in activity. And that's a pretty common one, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Especially for our age demographic, those of us over 50, there are seasons in our lives, certainly for all of us, even the most active where we're less active and then maybe more active. And oftentimes we have this memory of, oh, well, I used to be able to do this, right? So, and I'll just go back to- I'll just jump right back in there. Right. I'll pick up where I left off. Yeah. maybe Yeah. Maybe not such a good idea. Now, what about Things like somebody doing sports, say maybe tennis, pickleball is all the rage right now. Things yes. like this where we're planting on one foot quite often, turning, changing direction at speed. Is that something that puts us at risk? I would, I would guess that it, it might. It may if you're not, if your knee isn't ready for it. Right. So there's more and more research that, that running doesn't cause arthritis. You know, I don't think pickleball causes arthritis. The activities themselves aren't, aren't the problem. It's when, when the body isn't ready for those activities. Gotcha. So just like if you can only lift 10 pounds overhead and you try and lift 15 pounds, that's going to maybe hurt your shoulder. The same thing if you can turn and bend on your knee, essentially do a small squatting action. Some, there's some torque on the knee and the mm-hmm. knee is strong enough to do that once. That's great, but maybe it's not strong enough to do that once a minute for an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, before we move on from this subject, I want to pick apart arthritis because obviously that's a huge topic in this age demographic. We've mentioned it here a, a couple of times. I 
I'd like you to talk a little bit about, because you mentioned running doesn't cause arthritis, probably pickleball. These sports aren't causing it. Let's let's make a distinction here because we have osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis. Maybe talk a little bit about that and their role in, it, I guess, maybe the how, how one gets arthritis and then how one might control arthritis. Sure. So osteoarthritis and rheumatoid arthritis. Rheumatoid arthritis is, is an autoimmune condition. So you can get a blood test and kind of rule in or out whether, whether that's, that's occurring. Osteoarthritis, it, osteo means bone, arth means joint, itis means inflammation. So it's, it's a condition affecting the joint surface. It can happen in any joint, but when we're talking about the knee, it's the, the joint surface where the end of the thigh bone reaches the, the top of the shin bone or the tibiofemoral joint. Both of those surfaces of bone are covered with a substance called cartilage, which provides shock absorption. And when it's healthy, it's smooth and there's no friction in there. It's like slicker than ice on ice. There's also the joint between your kneecap and the end, the groove on the end of the, the thigh bone. That's the patellofemoral joint. And, and that, that too can be the cartilage there can be affected as well. So when, when cartilage is strong, this, this on a molecular level, the cells of cartilage bind water very tightly and the surface is firm. So strong cartilage is, is hard or firm cartilage. Cartilage is kind of on a continuum where it's not like you have healthy, strong cartilage over here and broken, abused, arthritic cartilage over, over there. It is, it, there's a continuum. And as cartilage weakens, it's getting softer. So chondromalacia is on that continuum. Chondromalacia Chondro means cartilage, malacia means softening, and softer cartilage means the cartilage cells aren't holding onto water molecules as tightly. And that is, that's a weaker type of cartilage. When cartilage is weaker, an activity that, you know, might be rather, seem rather benign or that you did, you know, 10, 12 more years ago that, that you enjoyed doing may put pressure on the cartilage inside your knee to the point where microscopic cells of the cartilage shear off. And you may not feel it right in that moment. So you may go for a short run, or you may go do some exercises at the gym, or you may go play a short game of pickleball. And it, you may not feel it while it's happening because there's not nerve supply that, that goes to the cartilage. What happens is those cells float around inside your knee, in this joint fluid that's in there. And eventually those microscopic cells of cartilage contact the joint lining and the joint lining does have nerve supply. And then people start to feel like an achy sensation or a maybe a, a light burning or a soreness and it's delayed. So it, it, sometimes it can be confusing. Like, well, I felt fine when I was playing or I felt fine when I was exercising. Why, why later tonight? is this bothering me? Or the next day even, is this bothering me? If that happens frequently enough, then degeneration happens. And that's when x-rays can start to change and that type of thing. 
Gotcha. Okay. So thank you for that. Cause that's one of the better descriptions, by the way, that I've heard of, of arthritis, specifically the osteoarthritis. And I, I think if we just boil it down to its simplest explanation, we can say that we, this harder, firmer cartilage, good, this softer cartilage, bad. So that begs the question, what do I do with, if I find myself in this position where I've, I've got some cartilage breakdown, some OA happening, what do I do to restore it? What's my prescription to get that healthier? And can I bring that back to as good as it was? I suppose that's going to depend on how much damage I've done, but what's, what's our prescription there for rehabbing that? Fabulous question. I love this question because I think this is the question that's not asked often right. enough. It's like, oh, my cartilage is not healthy. Great. Like this is the beginning of a slow decline. I'm just going right. to have to accept yeah, it. This is the it's, inevitable end, right? Yeah. And it's not, it's not. So every tissue in our body, every structure in our body can be affected by movement, can be affected by exercise. They are affected differently, but everything from our brain to our gut, to our muscles, to bones, to cartilage can all be influenced by movement and by exercise. So I like to think of, of the strengthening required or, you know, for, for cartilage. I use the analogy of if you were building your dream home and it's two floors, you're not going to focus on building the second floor or even the first floor until you have a really strong foundation. And cartilage is that strong foundation. And the reason is, is that cartilage gets very little next to no blood supply. Blood supply is what commonly brings the ingredients necessary for, for rebuilding, for getting stronger, for staying healthy. So muscle gets lots of blood supply. Like I talk about muscle as it's kind of the second floor. It's got tons of blood supply. We'll just say 100% blood supply. So you can work a muscle really hard and you may be sore the, the next day, but it kind of goes away and you're left with an even stronger muscle because you've got all the ingredients there to build it up. Tendons, which tie muscle to bone, get a lot less blood supply. So tendons are getting like 16, 70% the blood supply that muscles are getting. And it's going to be different if the tendon is in what part of the body the tendon's in and how much exercise is, is going on at the moment. But they're getting significantly less blood supply. So instead of doing something that requires a lot of effort and maybe 10 reps, like a muscle would like, a tendon is going to need less effort. You have to be gentler because there's not as much blood supply there. And so the rep count is going to go up cumulatively. You're now going to be in the hundreds of rep range. When you come down to cartilage, cartilage is not getting blood supply. Pretty much, you know, we can just say 0% and be pretty accurate there. So now the effort level on the exercise comes down even further. It's even gentler. Well, anything that gentle, you're going to have to do it a lot more. So cumulatively, we're talking thousands of reps. You do something a thousand times, you don't need resistance. You don't need a weight. This needs to be really easy to be able to replicate it over and over again. This is more like motion. Motion essentially presses on those, those joint surfaces, presses on that cartilage, kind of massages it, and it becomes more resilient over 
a matter of weeks and, and months and, and years. Okay. So that's, that's very interesting. And that explains then why when we go to the PT and we go to a physical therapist, we get these prescriptions very often of doing very lightweight, very endurance based. I, I can, I've just recently rehabbed a shoulder. Sure. I did, like you said, thousands of eyes, Y's and T's. Yes. <laughs> um, it's, yes. It, to me, it's, I, you know, it's, it's can be very, very boring. And I've rehabbed a lot of parts of my body with people like you who are Fabulous. And I have found that when you stick to these long, boring <laughs> exercise routines, you can not only can you rehab and get yourself back to where you were, very often you're building a more bulletproof body in the end. You're coming out stronger than you were before. And I hadn't heard it explained that way that, of course, muscle, does, you know, the classic hypertrophy rep range is a 10 to 12 reps, right? But then when we start talking about strengthening tendons, we're talking about hundreds of reps and we're talking about these blood deprived cartilages. We're talking about thousands of reps. So that's a very good explanation about why if somebody injures their knee or any other part of their body ends up with somebody like you, they're seeing these, these usually small, precise movements with lots and lots and lots of reps. So, all right. Well, thank you for that. I, I find that fascinating. I wanted to talk a little bit specifically when we talk about knee pain, we'll have in my world, right? The, we, we do a lot of squatting. If you're capable yes. of doing a barbell back squat, by God, you're going to do that. Right. Sure. But what we hear quite often is, well, I, you know, I, I'm, I can't get, I can't achieve full depth or I have some sort of pain when I squat and I will start by saying I think that is almost always a deferred pain. It's usually has to do with either poor, poor mobility in the hips or ankle, or it just has to do with horrible form, right? Or, or maybe your knees are caving in under load or something like that. But can you talk a little bit about deferred pain? Is when somebody says they're having knee pain, is it possible that that's coming from somewhere else? It is possible. You want to first of all make sure that there's not something systemic happening. It can be referred from the, the, the lower back, the, the lumbar spine, or the hip. You want to make sure that you're, you're dealing with something locally. But if you aren't squatting with good form, or your hip and your core are, you know, weak or just not engaging at the right time in the right way, then that could put extra pressure on your knees. So that that's definitely something to kind of, that's a box to check and look at pretty early on. I am of the persuasion that the advice to avoid squatting is, is not really helpful. And I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just think yeah. that it's an, e you know, I mean, healthcare is hard and physicians are in a place where they have a very short period of time right. with someone in the office. And so if someone comes in and says, Hey, this hurts. They're going to say, you know, don't do well, don't do it. Don't do it. Right. Yeah. Right. I hear it all the time. Yeah. And, and the problem with that is a lot of life requires squats. I think squats aren't just an exercise you do at the gym. Right. You do that exercise right. at the gym. So you can have a, a strong, healthy life in a lot of other areas. And we're talking everything like, you mentioned pickleball earlier. When you take a step, your foot is on the ground, your knee is bending. That That's a squat. If you mm -hmm. take the stairs instead of the elevator, putting your foot on the stair, you know, you're bending your knee with, with most of your body weight on that, on that knee. If you get into, you know, you, you're like, oh, I need something in the cabinet underneath the sink. 
how are you going to get down there? It's like, it's in the back of that cabinet. You have to bend your knees with body weight on them. And so rather than, Hey, squats are painful. I'm going to avoid them. I think the better approach is squats are painful. So how do I find a type of squatting a squat that's easy enough on my knees that, that I can start there and, and build up. And so finding that kind of starting place is, is one thing that I work with my clients on. It's because if you can find a, a way to squat without pain, it's kind of like, if we go back to the example of lifting a weight over overhead, if it hurts your shoulder at 10 pounds, but it doesn't at two pounds, then probably starting at two pounds is a better idea. Yeah, 100% with you. I, you know, when we talk about lifting something over our head or squatting or the deadlift is basically a hip hinge, these are very, very functional movements. And I so often hear very well meaning medical professionals say, well, if it hurts, don't do it. But think about what that says. If, are you really ready to surrender squatting, hinging, going overhead? For the rest of your life, I mean, that's getting up and off, up, up and out of a seat and, and off the toilet. It's, it's putting your luggage in the overhead bin. It's, I mean, all these things. It's lifting a bag of fertilizer off the ground or a grandchild, something like that. And yes. you know, I'm of the opinion that we want to hang on to that functionality absolutely as long as we have. So glad we're on the same page there. I kind of assumed you might be, but. What I would like to do now, because we've talked about, you know, how, how you might rehab and why you might rehab and when you might decide that it's time for you to rehab. I'd like to look more at the preventive side, kind of that prehab. Let's build out a plan for somebody who doesn't have jinky knees yet. Let's say they're, they've been blessed with pretty healthy knees. They're listening to this and they're thinking, hmm, well, I, I want healthy knees as long as I live. I want to have healthy knees at a hundred. What's our plan? going forward, what do we do to maintain good, healthy knees for the rest of our life? What are some exercises, movements that we maybe should and shouldn't do? Sure. If there's no knee pain involved, I'm, I'm definitely looking at someone's fitness and activity regimen and just making sure that they're moving their knees. That That movement might be, you know, cycling. It doesn't have to be competitive or vigorous. It could be just a gentle bike ride, you know, in the neighborhood, but movement of the knees on a daily basis. So if you're someone who's at a desk standing or sitting, but in a sustained position, how do you introduce some type of movement? There's the peddlers you can put on the floor underneath the desk, but there's also, you could take a furniture mover and just set it by the couch where you watch movies or TV and the one by your desk where you check email or one at, you know, at work or wherever, just have like different stations so that the furniture mover is there. You put your foot on it and gently slide your foot in and out to just interrupt those sustained positions. Hmm. That would be kind of a number one. Keep your knees moving when, when they're not hurting. The Another exercise that's really easy to do is something called a quad set or a tightening of the muscles on the front of the thigh. And that maintains or improves the viscosity of the fluid inside your knees. So healthy joint fluid is thick like egg whites, and it provides nutrition and shock absorption for your cartilage. So by tightening the muscles on the front of your thigh, you're, you're promoting that healthy, thick 
joint fluid. Quad sets are an easy way because you can you can do them. Hey, I forgot to exercise. I'm rolling into bed and I can do a few right before I fall off to sleep or right when I wake up in the morning. Even if someone does have like some stiffness in the morning, it's it's a great way to kind of get get moving without creating pain. And when you say quad set, just to be clear, you're talking about just basically I'm sitting here right now, I'm flexing that quad muscle. Is that what you're talking about? Just kind of pulsing it? The muscle on the front of the thigh, mm-hmm. normally with a straight leg. So mm-hmm. if someone doesn't have pain, you just may put your legs up on the couch or on a bed or or wherever. And and I I advocate for tightening your core first, then kind of engaging your glutes, and then mm-hmm. tightening the muscle on the front of the thigh, which will kind of start to straighten the knee a little bit in holding it for five seconds before you relax. Love that. Yeah. Obviously we're going to get some muscle stimulation from doing that. We're also connecting to our bodies, which I think a lot of us don't do. And some of us out here listening to this may find that it's tricky to, I think most of us can brace our core, but maybe to engage, then to engage the glutes, right? Yes. And to engage that, that, the, like you said, the quad, the upper part of the front of your thigh, hold that for a few seconds. So that that's a great one. So we have this daily movement. We have maybe some, for those of us, and that's probably most of us that have this sedentary work life, let's just say we're, we're, we're just not, you know, not all of us are construction workers or things like that. Right. We're, right. We're right. Sit in front, we sit in front of desks. We have this kind of to break up that movement. What then is the role? Cause we talked a little bit about, Hey, I've, I'm a big fan of squatting. What's the role of resistance training of strength training? Is, is that something that is recommended for lifelong healthy knees? Absolutely. Sure. I want someone to have a strong core and to be able to engage their core and, and brace to provide a good foundation for the rest of their legs in different planes. So n- not just in the front to back plane, which is walking and running and hiking and so forth, but also side to side and also to be able to resist rotary forces. So in, in different directions to have a strong core, to have strong hip muscles, as well as, as leg muscles, all of those are, are important because they're going to take pressure off of the joint surfaces. That's that's very interesting. I think a lot of people might be surprised that one of your top recommendations for lifelong healthy knees is a good, strong, stable core. And when you say core, just to be clear, you're talking, I think, about the entire body from the hips to the chest, all front, side, back, right? I mean, that, correct. a lot of us think of the six, you know, the... The, just the abs or the six pack, but you're talking about that girdle around the middle of your body. Is that fair? Absolutely. Okay, folks. Yeah. So good, strong core. For if, if we're walking our minimum of 7,000 steps a day, that's keeping us with our daily movement. Those of us that are sedentary, maybe consider doing some of those quad sets. Let's get a nice, strong core. What then is the role of muscle? So if I'm developing specifically, I, I get that nice, strong core because we should have that for everything we do, especially as we age. But what, a, what about leg muscles, so calf muscle, the, the muscles above and below the knee, is there an importance in strengthening that? Is there a benefit in doing strength, strength training, like sets of three versus hypertrophy, say sets of 10 to 12 versus muscular endurance, say sets of 20? What do I want to do for that for, for my, or maybe all three? What's, what's my prescription there going forward? That all of all of that is important, and I think have have roles in in different 
you know, different people. So Mm -hmm. for example, there's a lot of research with postmenopausal women that power training is and, and building muscle is incredibly valuable. I would just advocate for make sure your knees are strong enough for that. Right. So you're going to be safer to introduce the movement before you introduce a lot more resistance or a lot more weight. Is it fair to say that the reason for that is I can develop my, because we talked about muscle, we talked about tendon and cartilage. I can develop my muscle a lot faster than I can those tendons and cartilage in that very delicate joint, the knee. Is that maybe why you're, you would say, Hey, let's, let's perfect the movement and then let's load it slowly over time. Is, am I giving my tendons and cartilage time to adapt as well? Or is there a different reason for that? So because your, your, your muscles have so much blood supply, they can recover so well and, and so efficiently and effectively, and they give you real time indications of when they're done. You right. know, you can get yeah, tired <laughs> and, yeah. and it's like, okay, I'm, I can't do the exercise with good form anymore. So clearly I need, I need to stop. Whereas cartilage doesn't give you that immediate feedback. And so mm-hmm. you get delayed information. And if you go at it too hard, too quick, that delayed information is oftentimes pain, stiffness, or swelling. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So then... For our prescription, we'll have some daily movement. We'll have some movement for those of us that are sedentary. We'll certainly want strong cores. We'll want to develop muscles slowly over time. Mm-hmm. And we've had some folks on this podcast. We've had Shelly Stetner. She's a 70, what is she? 72, 73 year old power lifter, just Great. Smash, smashing world records in power lifting. So yeah. yeah. And she didn't start until her late sixties. So it's never too late to, to get started exactly. on something like this, right? Especially for the ladies that may be thinking, I don't know, power lifting with a barbell, but certainly a lot of benefits to that. So What about, let's go back then to, we had said that knee pain and knee deterioration is probably more of a lifestyle thing, and I'm paraphrasing here, than it is a inevitability of aging. But obviously, we... We're not going to live forever, and there is some breakdown. What can we expect as we age from 50s to 60s to 70s and 80s and on with our knees? If we take care of our knees, can we expect them to be mobile and strong until we're 100, or is that kind of unrealistic? Great question. I don't know that there's clear evidence or research backed, but I, I, I see no reason why you can't continue to be really active and and your knees stay say healthy the i will say that x-rays don't often correlate with people's symptoms mm-hmm. i've had a client who has come to me and her x-rays showed severe really horrific arthritis and they were trying to offer her a new replacement. She's like, but that's not really where I'm hurting. And she kind of pointed up to her, her hamstring or the back of her thigh and, and she, she wasn't having symptoms. So I think it's important not to correlate, Hey, my x-rays have changed with, Hey, I'm, I, I'm just, this is inevitable that I'm going to need a knee replacement. I'm glad you brought that up. That was something that prior to hopping on this call, I wanted to talk to you about, and I had completely gone out of my mind, but I did want to talk about knee replacement. So very often 
when we go to a doctor who that's the tool in his toolbox is knee replacements. And he looks at a damaged knee. He says, you need a knee replacement. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on when somebody is given that news. Hey, you, you need a knee replacement or any joint replacement. Really? Is there a, a cause for them to go out and get a second opinion from somebody who's maybe not a knee surgeon to, is there a possibility that that knee could be saved, rehabbed? What's the likelihood and when, when is it inevitable? When is it time to, to absolutely replace your knee? Sure. I, I definitely think it's, it's worth trying some non-operative approaches before, sure. before signing up for a replacement. There was research recently that one in four people who have knee replacements aren't satisfied with the results. So it, it's not like, I think there's a, a a role for knee replacements. It's helped a lot of people stay active that, that couldn't have without them, but it's also not maybe ne as necessary as maybe the frequency in which, which they're being done. So if you can find a level of, if you can decrease your activity and feel better and increase your activity and feel worse, your body is responding right? If you have constant pain, debilitating pain, you're waking up at night with pain, you're waking in the morning and the pain is almost as bad as it was the night before, you're likely getting to a point where the degeneration is creating negative effects, not just for the cartilage, but maybe for the underlying bone. And the longer you go and the more severe it gets, the harder it is to kind of turn the, the train around, right? But if your symptoms oscillate based on your activity level, there's a good chance that you can change, you know, make a positive difference in your knee. Can't always predict, okay, exactly how much. If you, your goal is to run ultra marathons and you have grade three osteoarthritis, maybe some grade four, that might not be a good match. But can you be a super active person who enjoys recreational sports and lifts weight? and does some power training? Absolutely. So think where people get stuck is they have some pain, they limit their activities, they feel better. Then they reintroduce the act activities, but nothing's really changed except they don't have pain at the moment. The, the strength of the inside of their knees, the joint surface hasn't really changed. So now they get the pain again and they're like, well, clearly taking that activity out wasn't the answer. Well, no, it wasn't the answer, but that doesn't mean that there isn't one. You have to find the level squatting. I'm going to go back to squatting again because so much of life, it's so functional, right? right? And so if you can, I try and help people determine their squat load tolerance, which means the percentage of body weight that they can squat without pain five times good form and then build on that. I think it's really important for people to say, know where they're at in terms of, you know, a measurement squat load tolerance is, is a measurement that I find is really helpful and then measure it again. Several weeks later, you may not be at the point where life is pain-free, but if you know, you've moved from 20% to 32%, 
in terms of what your knee tolerates, the percentage of body weight that your knee tolerates, it's like, wow, that's, that's almost a 50% improvement. Yeah. Like keep doing those things, even if they don't feel super exciting in the moment. Okay. I love that. And I've learned, I've learned a new term here. I, I love the term squat load tolerance, and that's a percentage of body of your current body weight that you can do for five reps, five reps pain-free. Absolutely love that. And clearly if you can do that and see that progressing, you're moving in the right direction. So for those of you out there, maybe that have got knees and are considering knee replacement or been told, or you have loved ones that have been told they need a knee replacement, certainly, you know, maybe you do, maybe you don't, but I, I would certainly look into and investigate alternatives to that knee replacement. Like you said, I, I clearly, I believe there's a time and a place for those, right? It's amazing what we can do with, with Western medicine. But I think very often we're also very quick to say, no, let's just replace it, right? And that, that's an easier answer than, well, because we've just sat, we've just talked for 45 minutes here about rehabbing and prehabbing knees. And so it's a little more nuanced and complicated, perhaps for that road of recovery. Well, Laurie, you obviously are have spent a lot of time in your life dedicated to this subject. What's what's next for you? What's on the horizon for you? Oh, Dr. Kelsey and I collaborate together and we have some some projects that we're working on to help people support, you know, support people with their knee health. Certainly in addition to what we already have out there, we're we're looking at ways to help people who are getting gel injections. So hyaluronic acid, it's a type of injection. It's not a steroid injection. It supports the health inside, the cushion factor inside your knees. But people that get those don't often get very good advice. Uh, it's like, okay, you know, take it easy for 72 hours and then just kind of use your common sense, which is really tough because it's like, yeah. this isn't a common occurrence for you. There's not, it's, it's unfair to say, use your common sense or it's unfair fair to know what take it easy means. So and chances are, I think, sorry to interrupt, but chances yeah. are, if you have lousy knees, what you've been doing has not been helping, right? You've probably exactly. got some movement patterns or some habits that aren't supportive of healthy, strong knees. So yeah, point well taken. Right, right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Laurie, if somebody's listening to this and wants to learn more, potentially reach out, work with you, how can people best get in touch with you? Where do you want to send them? So I would say anyone, if they're, if they have knee pain, whether it's twinges of knee pain or severe knee pain, or maybe they're just concerned and they want to prevent knee pain, I have a free guide. And I think that would be the best place for people to, to find me and, and to access that so that they can go to the website, www.saveyourkneesguide.com. And you do need the three W's for that website. So saveyourkneesguide.com will, you can download that PDF. There are links to videos. So we talked about the quad sets earlier today. There's a link to that and kind of how to do it and recommendations for how frequently and, and all of that in there and some charts to kind of keep track of your goals and so forth. So Accessing that guide will also give you some weekly insights that I send out about knee pain and about building strong, healthy knees. So that that's probably the best place for, for people to go. All right, folks. And that was www.saveyourkneesguide.com. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. 
folks, I will put that link as well as a link to all of Laurie's social website, all that fun stuff into the show notes. You guys can find that there. Laurie, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your knowledge and your wisdom with us. I think that this is, and it's very admirable that you have dedicated your life to this and just encourage you to keep up the great work. Thanks, Kevin. Glad to be here. Okay, that's our show for today, folks. Please make sure you head over to silveredgefitness.com slash 224 and get yourself registered for our 21-day Flabby to Fit Challenge. In this challenge, you'll have full access to me as well as our coaches, and you'll learn the exact framework we use with our clients. And who knows, you just might walk away $500 richer. Again, you can find the registration link over at silveredgefitness.com slash 224. And of course, I'll have all the links to everything we mentioned in this show as well. As we wrap up our time together today, you can show your support for this show in two important ways. The first is to tell a friend about this podcast and encourage them to give it a listen. The second is for you YouTube folks to click the like and subscribe buttons and for you podcast folks to consider giving this podcast a five-star review on whatever platform you listen to podcasts on and be sure to subscribe and follow so you don't miss any future episodes. I really appreciate you spending your time with me today and until next time, stay strong. <laughs>